Hello, and welcome to episode 225 of SMARTS, which as we all know stands for... Starfleet meets abstruse Romulan Tal Shiar. Ooh, abstruse. Mm-hmm. Secret. It's a, it's a synonym My name is Rudiger Q Podcaster, a.k.a. Trevor, and your name is... Julia Gulli of Internet Fame Dash Podcaster. Correct. A.k.a. the synonym awesomeness. Correct. <laughs> so we actually have one piece of news this week. <gasps> So DC has revealed the uh, specifics regarding their upcoming offering for this year's Free Comic Book Day. So every year there's Free Comic Book Day. Uh, sometimes DC will just put out like a, a low-cost reprint of mm-hmm. some recent big issue that was a big deal, like a new number one that was a big deal or an anniversary issue that was a big deal. Other times their Free Comic Book Day issue will feature some or all new content. Um yeah, in, I remember in a one way, year it was like completely one-off story that didn't really tie into anything and didn't really have a book assigned to it. It was literally just well, like Well, one year they had like um, DC Universe number zero or something, which had like it had a Tom King story that was leading into the wedding and it had a, a Scott Snyder Justice League story that was leading into his run. Oh, okay. I think that was for Free Comic Book Day. And so oftentimes they'll do something like that. This year is close, is kind of half and half, so... But this is interesting based on other things we've been talking about on the show. So this year's Free Comic Book Day issue will be called Generation Zero. Um, And here's the description. I actually have it in front of me. So it says, Flash Forward Epilogue. So it's an epilogue to the Wally West Flash Forward miniseries is the main main feature in this issue. Flash Forward Epilogue is an extension of the... This is just me reading the press release. It's not me being all hyperbolic and everything. Okay. It's an extension of the unbelievable conclusion to the Flash Forward six-issue miniseries with all new content from the series team of writer Scott Lobdell and artist Brett Booth. So here's the description. In order to save his children and the multiverse itself, Wally West makes the ultimate sacrifice, taking his place in the Mobius chair. Ooh. Unbeknownst to him, but known to us. (laughs) The chair is packing a little extra power, having been imbued with the godlike powers of Dr. Manhattan. Whoa. Now armed with infinite knowledge and the powers of a god, Wally West can see the past, present, and future of the DC universe all at once, including what needs to be changed. Oh! So I think this is going to be the impetus, the flashpoint, if you will, <laughs> of uh, of the new timeline we've been talking about. Because the the um, what well, I don't know what you want to call it the the nickname that Dan DiDio has been giving this timeline is uh, is G five. Because apparently it's based on the fact that there's going to be five generations of heroes. Okay. Spanning the DC, so like the Justice Society, Justice League. I was sort of thinking about this. I imagine it's the Justice Society, Justice League, original Titans, Mm -hmm. Young Justice, you know, generation, and then the current generation, kids like, you know, Damien and Jonathan and so on like that, that are even younger and newer than the Young Justice characters of Connor and Tim and Cassie and so on like that. So I'm assuming those are the five generations we're going to be. So so G5, I keep wanting to say 5G. G5 is the sort of the nickname of this thing. So calling this Generation Zero, I think, is a way of indicating that it's going to be the, you know, the, the launch point of all that. And, per- and obviously not coincidentally, the second, second half of this issue, in addition to that new story, will feature a reprint of the Scott Snyder, Brian Hitch, Wonder Woman story from Wonder Woman 750, the first story taking place in this new timeline, which featured her first appearance in 1941 or whenever Ooh. it was. So... I think you're going to see this first issue set up this new timeline or at least hint at how it's going to be created. And then the second story will be a reprint of that showing the first indication of how it's actually going to work in practice. Wow. So it's interesting that Wally West is going to be. That's seem- kind of funny. You know why? It. Because um, when they were doing the reboot for Rebirth, um, they used Wally West as a 
way to launch that as well. Well, exactly. Right? I mean, there's a couple of different there's a couple of different through lines here. One is that flashes are always at the forefront of these big changes, right? Oh, it was okay. well, it was ba- Barry Allen that me- meeting Jay Garrick. That mm-hmm. was that that was the story that introduced the multiverse to DC Comics. Oh yeah. It was the death of Barry Allen that that cl- was the climax of Crisis on Infinite Earths, which was the end of the multiverse. It was um, Barry Allen's actions in Flashpoint that created the New 52, and then it was the return of Wally West that aug- that augured in the beginning of Rebirth, like you said. Wow. So it's it's always been flashes at the forefront of these things, and specifically with Wally, you know, it was his absence that was pr- probably the most keenly felt in the New 52. It was his return that started Rebirth, right. and now it's his ascension in some way that's going to create this new era. Situation, yeah. Seemingly. You know, if there's not some, might be some other shoe to drop here, but... Wow, yeah. cool. So it's kind of interesting. And you know, when they said they had big plans for him after Heroes in Crisis um, and the way he's been kind of powered up in this Flash Forward miniseries. I think it's really, really awesome that the effects of the story that they had with Dr. Manhattan can continue to be felt. Like that the, the story wasn't just like a, a one-off um, yeah. Between between different types of worlds. I mean, I think it, it, I think was, it only cool that it, it only makes remnant. sense that the like the after effects of Doomsday Clock are somehow going to play into whatever the new is this new on. reset to the timeline is. It seems like a bit of a retcon to say that some of his power might be in the Mobius chair because there was absolutely no indication of anything like that in Doomsday Clock. Like he departed the DC universe mm-hmm. and didn't. There was no scene there of him imbuing any of his power into the Mobius chair. Like, the new gods didn't even appear. No, but he did imbue it into the universe at large, right? So, who knows? Maybe he was... I mean, maybe maybe his quote-unquote son, right? Maybe Clark, Mm -hmm. or whatever the presumed surname of John and Laurie. I don't even know what their, their secret surname is, but maybe he reappears and does something. Like, I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe it's too soon to follow up on that, but Mm. I don't know. But it's interesting that that's the way they're going. So, I mean, so this is May. I think May is usually when Free Comic Book Day is. So in a few months, we'll get this story the story, and, and see how all this is going to take that's shape. That's cool. By then, the state of different uh, books will definitely be different. So um, more advanced, obviously. So I think it might be like a good tie-in to all all the comic books, well, I, not I, just... Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I continue to be perplexed as to how they're going, how this is going to work in practice. Like if you're going to pick up... The, the May issue of Detective Comics and all of a sudden Bruce Wayne is going to be 100 years old. Like, I don't think they can do that. So I continue to be perplexed as to how this is going to work in practice and, and how they're going to roll it out. Mm-hmm. Like, is it going to be like, is, you know, they're going to be some new initiative with some new branding on all the covers starting in June. Yep. Where they're all going to be like, you know, G5 is here and then you open the issue and it's completely new status quo. I mean, there's been line-wide status quo just hard cutoffs like that before, but this would be harder than any of them, like yeah. we talked about before. So I, I continue to like. It all, part of me kind of wonders if maybe you do it on a rolling basis, but that might even be more confusing. Like if all of a sudden Barry Allen is eighty years old, but Hal Jordan isn't, then you'd be confused. Yep. But I don't think they would do that. So I I don't know how they're going to roll this out and how it's going to work in practice. Unless and if if there's some way to just keep all the current characters young anyway, despite the fact that they de- debuted decades ago, then why even bother? Yeah, exactly. The whole point of this would be to have this generational thing be forefront so i continue to be perplexed as to how this is going to work in practice but it's definitely ambitious so and they're going for it so we'll, we'll have to see what happens and you know wally west getting his kids back has been a thing that i mean you can't say that that hasn't been a running through line throughout all of rebirth too first yeah, him for sure. trying to make linda remember him and then him missing his kids and everything that's been there since his very first reappearance yeah you know six years ago however long it was so it's definitely been a through line 
Um, yeah, so that's our little bit of news. Wow. So what was your comic of the week? So this week I picked, um, wait, it's coming to me. It's issue number 12. It's the of... last issue of, oh, Martian Manhunter. Correct. Yay. <laughs> Correct. It's a good thing I tell you these things ahead of time. Um, you can bail me out of situations such as this. Um, so long story short, I really like where this issue concluded. I like that we have a setup for Mar- uh, Miss Martian as well. I like well, it, that. That's not supposed to be, uh, part of me wondered if they were going to go there, but they didn't. I don't think that's supposed to be Miss Martian in any way, shape or form. It's just a, shape. It's just a female. <laughs> I mean, first of all, this girl is not white Martian. She's not even fully green Martian. No, she's, but it could be their interpretation of what she is. No, but Miss Martian is running around in the current comics. She's oh. as part of the, you know, well, we haven't yeah, seen her in a little but, bit, but she was on the Titans but team. But this with, is another iteration. Hang on, because this is another iteration of uh, Martian Manhunter as well. I don't think it's supposed to be a reboot. I think it's just a retelling and updating of his origin. I think it's supposed, it's supposed to be, you know, mesh with all the things that are happening now. It's just this was 10 years ago or something like that. No, um, I, I don't think so. I think the Martian Manhunter that we had in, um, you know, face off against Perpetua was a different Martian Manhunter than the one we're reading about no, in this it's, book. No, it's all the same. It's like how they told, it's just a retelling of his origin, like Batman Year One or whatever. Oh, uh, okay. It's not I... supposed to be a different version of him from a different Mars or something. It's, well, okay. I mean, time will tell whether, I mean, his, his origin's been retold a bunch of times, so time will tell whether this one sticks and is referenced in every in any stories that take place in the present. Right. But this is just supposed to be a retelling of his origin. Okay. It's not supposed to, be, supposed to be some new guy that just happens to have the same name and come from the same planet. I suppose, but okay. Um, I don't know. I I don't know if I agree. Um, but I I really liked where this book concluded. I like that it had a lot of... Um, Mm, interpersonal relationships come to fruition. I like that there were several things going on at the same time in terms of um, the final face-off between Martian Manhunter and the bad guy, between Martian Manhunter and basically himself, and also between um, Diane, who was having his back with the minions of the uh, bad Martian. Um, They were under attack, and she had complete faith, even though they were locked down, pinned down, and dead to rights, she had complete faith that uh, he would um, get the time he needed in order to succeed in what he needed to do. So that was really awesome. And I really like the fact that because of all the pain and trauma he had gone through, he was basically immune to what the bad guy was trying to do to him, which is psychically traumatize him. And he's like, there's nothing that you can do that I haven't lived already. And it sort of like bounced back at him and, and didn't work. So I really, I like those elements. I, I really like the weird art. It really is, uh, it took some getting used to, but it was so perfectly suited for this book, especially in the early issues where you see more of Mars and the different um, shapes that you can take and the playing with colors. And it was just really, really unique. And I even like that in the final panel, you sort of see the shape as you would recognize Martian Manhunter to really look like. Well, he finally gets his you know full cape. And, right, the full know, cape, the costume, the X across like the chest and everything like really suited down. But I also really like the final panels where they're having kind of quiet family moments where they're absorbing that they won and sort of taking a beat that he and Diane are having a beer and he's in his like super raw, raw Martian little, little form. baby Martian form. Yeah, a little baby Martian form just having a beer with her because he's completely at ease with her. He trusts her implicitly. It's such a visual way to cue us into how much of a bond they have and also um, just how much he's grown as well 
um, to be that comfortable around somebody else. Um, it's it's a really good book, and it has a very satisfying ending, and this issue is, had to be my comic of the week. How yep, about, very good. How about you? What did you pick? So I picked Justice League number 40. Nice. Um, this is a, and we talked, I think we talked just last week, or it might have been two weeks ago, about number 39, which was <laughs> Scott Snyder's final issue. But this is the first issue by the new creative team of uh, Robert Venditti and uh, Doug Monkey, and this was great. I mean, we've, all, we've liked Venditti's stuff, you know, Hawkman. Um, Green Lantern Corps back at the beginning of Rebirth mm-hmm. um, Freedom Fighters obviously um, oh, that was so good he's never really gotten a shot at big uh, the the big time but I mean I guess you could say like Green Lantern Corps is pretty big time but you know Justice League is kind of the brass ring um, so th- this doesn't you know this is not any sort of huge earth-shaking thing in the way that Scott Snyder's run kind of redefined so much of the DC cosmology and introduced all these new concepts and these new these, the new forces and Perpetua and all this other stuff this is just sort of like a Straight down the middle, okay, the, you know, alien invasion thing. It's got yeah. an, it's got a couple of interesting hooks. The Daxamites are always an interesting concept because there's they've got ties to Superman and also the Green Lantern stuff and Legion stuff. And um, then you've got the Eradicator, who's got a lot of interesting ties to Superman. So Superman has sort of a little bit of some moment of doubt there where he wonders if this is all part of this is his fault. And, mm-hmm. you know, John Stewart gets some interesting moments here where... He has to. He kind of steps up because this is kind of a Green Lantern threat in a way, mm-hmm. um, and Batman seems at least a, seems a little put off by the fact that he's not, you know. Yeah. He starts to sort of take charge, and then John starts giving orders, and he's like, and he kind of like walks away in a huff. It seems like a little bit. Yeah. There's a there's a scene where it's in, he's still still dealing with the fallout of Alfred's death, so he's probably not in the best headspace right now anyway right. something's going on with Barry which might have to do with the way that the speed force is in flux over in the Flash comics I yep. guess is maybe what we're supposed to think about um, he's always good at tying his stuff into what's going on in the other books too which is something that I kind of appreciate and adjust because you can do like you can tell your own story and just they can ignore the other stuff right or you can do you know it was always fun you know I feel like it's been a while since I've um Reference Grant Morrison's JLA, but it would be fine because he would do his own <laughs> stuff for a while, and then you'd pick up the new issue, and all of a sudden Superman was wearing an electric blue costume. Yep. And you'd be like, "Wait a minute! If you weren't reading Superman, or you pick up, hey, oh, Wonder Woman's dead, and you know, Flash is crippled or something." Okay. Yeah. Because it was that month when, um, when that Grant Morrison and Mark Miller were writing the Flash, and they had him break both of his legs. So. Yep. I was like, okay, I guess we're referencing that. Um, the scene where you've read this, where where Superman's wearing his electric blue costume uh-huh. for the first time, and he's walking through the Batcave. Yeah. And um, what was it? No, it wasn't. Oh, uh, it was when he teleported. Uh, he went up to the watchtower, and he said, he, he, "Kyle and Wally were playing like rock and sock and robots with yeah. one of Kyle's constructs." Yeah. And and uh, and Superman was like, "Kyle, I, you said I needed a haircut. Did I go too far?" <laughs> and he's like, "Oh, sorry, Superman." Um, <laughs> yeah, a lot of great scenes. But yeah, so it's it's always fun to see the writer tie into what's... Oh, and they even reference Superman re- having revealed the secret identity. Yes. John's like, mm-hmm. you know, about time I never wore a mask. It's yeah. like I've always like... I, I could never do something important and not have my face on it, like not put my name to it. Right. You know, it's just right. who, who he is, you know. Um, yeah, a lot of good scenes. So he's he's really good at the characterization stuff and the action stuff. So I think it's going to be a good run. Part of me wonders, this to me has a little bit of a feel of a fill-in thing on it because Snyder's run was so big. This is not following up on it in any way. We've talked, we talked last week about how that's going to be followed up on in this sort of metal encore that yeah. Snyder and Capullo are doing. If With this big timeline reset, I've got to figure that the Justice League is going to look very different when the whole five... I'm doing it again. I'm like, is it 5G or G5? Because it could be five generations, but it's also like G5 uh, means generation. I would say G5. It is G5, but I keep wanting okay. to say 5G because of the, the, the high, the high, the high speed wireless standard. <laughs> oh gosh. Um, 
Yeah, so but I, I have to think that that's going to hit the Justice League hard. The Justice League is going to look very different when all of a sudden these characters' histories are stretched out over 80 years as opposed to 15. Yep. Um, so part of me feels like this is going to be like one six-issue story. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to have like, the series will presumably be renumbered mm-hmm. like everything else is, I think, gradually going to be. You're going to get, you know, Justice League number 50 in a few months. And then the month after that, you're going to get Justice League number 600 or something by some huge new all-star creative team. Yep. Grant Morrison returns to the Justice League or something like that. Um, and that's going to be the new, with this new team of characters made up from all sorts of the different generations or something that, that that'd be my bet because venditti while i think he deserves a shot at the justice league this run has sort of been flying under the radar hasn't really gotten a lot of press so i think that it, it sort of has the feel the feel to me which i've seen before of like one big run is over we're not quite quite ready to announce the next big thing yet yep. so in the time being just have this nice little story that's not going to make too many waves yep which is fine um yeah so that was my pick well good pick so you ready for your activity Yes. So the second half of what we did last week, we're going to continue to uh, rank Star Trek The Next Generation generation guest stars. This time guest stars from seasons five through seven. So I've got an even bigger list than last week because I couldn't narrow it down. Last week we had nine. This week I think there's 12 or 13. Oh boy. Okay. You ready? Mm Mm-hmm. So, all right. So number one, Paul Winfield as Captain Dathan from Darmok. Yes. I don't, I don't think I need to say any more about no, that. Done. Matt Frewer as Berlinghoff Rasmussen from A Matter of Time. We mentioned him briefly last week. This was the sort of nebbishy guy that was supposed to be a future historian. Oh, right. But then yeah. it turned out he, he was, was a con man. I like his performance very much. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's Matt Frewer. He's been in a ton of stuff. He was in the He's Watchmen great. movie. He was, um, what's the name of the thing, the MTV thing that he was the voice of? Um, I'm completely blanking on it now. Something, I don't know. He was he was like this this sci-fi future dystopian VJ kind of character on this MTV series. It's like a cult classic. It'll come to me in a second. Um, all right. Next one is Melinda. I don't know how this is pronounced. Melinda Culia, I guess, a Soren from the Outcast. This was the um, non-gendered person oh, yes. that Riker kind of fell in love with and she started to identify as female or revealed that she always had but yes. then the society came down hard on her and it was this whole the, the parable obviously about prof- gay yeah. rights mm-hmm. um, Robert Duncan McNeil as Nicholas Locarno from The First Duty so this was the character that Robert Duncan McNeil who would later of course go on to play Tom Paris played in the episode where Wesley gets involved in a uh, stunt flying accident right. at the academy and he's the captain of the team, yeah, whatever they were called, the red, um, red well, Red Squad was squad a different thing from from Deep Space Nine. But he was the captain of this mm-hmm. team, and he, you know, wanted to keep it all hush hush. And then he ended up taking the rap for it at the end, and kind of, kind of stood everybody. up and, yeah. and uh, took the heat for everybody. So it was obviously on the strength of this that they gave him yeah. the role of Tom Paris a few years later. Uh, Fomka Jansen, although for some reason this is <laughs> spelled it Funky Jansen, <laughs> of course, Fomka Jansen as Kamala from The Perfect Mate. I you remember, remember that, her obviously, yeah. right? Um, Margot Rose as Aline from The Inner Light. So this was oh. Picard's, if you want to call him Picard's mm-hmm. wife in The Inner Light, which of course is the one where he lives mm-hmm. a whole life on the alien planet and gets the little flute thing. Um, Jerry Harden as Samuel Clements from Time's Arrow. Remember the two-part episode with Mark Twain where they went back to went back in time and Guinan yeah. was there and Data's head and everything? Yeah. Right. That was fun. Um, Olivia Dabo as Amanda Rogers from True Q. So this was the young girl that, I mean, oh, young, yes. 18 or whatever she was supposed to be, who discovered that her parents were Q and then Q came and wanted to take her away to the continuum. Right. Um, Ronnie Cox is Captain Edward Jellicoe from Chain of Command. So this is the off-maligned fill-in captain uh, that took control of the Enterprise and moved them to like a three-shift schedule and didn't like Riker and wanted Troy to wear a uniform while Picard was off being tortured by the Cardassians, mm-hmm. right? Um 
Speaking of which, David Warner is Gull Madred from Chain of Command, yeah. obviously. Um, Jonathan Frakes, is, this is a bit of a cheat. Jonathan Frakes is Thomas Riker from Second Chances, right? That's a cheat. His tri- well, it's, no, it's, a, it's an actor playing a character who only appeared once. Yep, no, because it was a guest actor. Uh, Your previous category was guest actor. So don't, so don't pick him then. Okay. Terry O'Quinn is Admiral Ed- Eric Pressman from the Pegasus. This is Riker's former commanding officer. Right. They had been involved in that cover-up because they had been using stolen um, cloaking technology for right. a test, and everybody in the ship had died but them and like one or two others. And then fi- finally, bring it all the way back around, purely coincidentally, James Sloyan as Kimtar, a.k.a. future Alexander from Firstborn. Remember this guy showed up, oh. said he was like yes, I do the, remember the House of Moog's fi- faithful retainer, but then he re- revealed that he was actually Alexander from a future where Worf had been killed and he'd come back to change, change mm-hmm. history. Right? Did you forget that that was James Sloyan? I did, yeah. yeah. Um, all right, so that's the list. So, I, who, so you don't need to narrow it down to three if you want. You can pick like your top four or five, whatever you want to do. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, I think all of those are incredible performances because the show is really, really incredible. Um, I think some of the weaker writing, actually, I didn't particularly like Matt Frewer's episode in general. Like, I, I don't know why it didn't, uh, it did, it struck me as one of the weaker episodes, but it did. Um, I thought he was great in it. I just think the writing Max was Headroom. a little bit... Max Headroom, that was the bit... name of the show, Max Headroom. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> <sighs> I think it was a little bit, um, um, a little bit, hmm, not, not the best Star Trek writing we saw for the, for the show, but... Um, maybe it's just because the plot was a little bit thin, but, um, but I thought the performances were great. Um, I really like the weird episode where Riker splits off and becomes another Riker. That was fun, but I, I can't in good conscience pick him because the actor is not a guest actor. Also, technically, Thomas Riker <laughs> did appear once more, although in a different oh, yeah, series. Right. So I don't know if that also disqualifies him or not. No, the, that's the not fair. The rules are kind yeah. of... I mean, kind Q- of ambiguous. The Q- rules that I created are ambiguous. Yes, exactly. You okay. didn't. You need to firm up your uh, game Bible here. Um, let's see. Let's see. Oh, definitely, I have to pick um, David Warner and Paul. Paul Winfield. Paul Winfield. I was right. I was going to say Winfield, but I thought I was wrong. Um, those guys are awesome, and I have to pick the episode because with um, what was her name? Coolia. Coolia. Coolio. No, not Coolio. <laughs> Haha. I, although I enjoy his music. Um, let's see. Oh, The Outcast? Melinda Coolia, uh, The Outcast. Yeah. Um, I thought that was a really just ground shaking episode. It was great, and she was great in it. Um, I thought it for, was good for, writing. For and almost I really 30 liked. years ago, too. Pretty. I mean, this is I what Star know. Trek does, but at the time, it was it made a lot of waves, is my understanding. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. Um, I was and I'm I glad. was probably like eight when I watched it, so I'm not sure I fully grasped all of the I socio-political know, right? implications. Yeah, because to you, it's a non-issue. It's you don't get imprinted until you're later on, and then by then, it's just like that's why society has so many problems. Anyway, moving on. Um, so those are my top three. If I have to pick them, um, I liked Famke Jansen's appearance. Johansson. Wait, what's her name? Jansen. <laughs> yeah, I was right. Um, although I think I like her because I know her from um, X Men, obviously. Um, but I thought she was great in this, in her two seconds of screen time. <laughs> well, she had more than two seconds. She, she had did, a I meaty know. role. It wasn't that meaty. She spent the first half of the episode in a pod, if it you remember. It wasn't half. It was probably like the first eight or ten minutes. But mm. it was interesting because she would, you would see remember her Remember, it's gradu- a 22-minute episode. Oh, no, no I'm 45-minute episode. Yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. She was, it was interesting to see her gradually adapt to the the needs of her mate at hand you know yeah. like she came out and she was a blank slate and then she gradually became 
you know, more erudite and more intellectually curious and so on, because that's what Picard would find interesting. And then, you know, the tragic ending of that. So, I know. yeah, it was interesting. Oh, that's heartbreaking. Um, let's see. She, uh, Olivia Dabo was really great as well. I really liked her performance. I liked the writing for her character, too, because it's like she thinks she has this one life. And obviously it's a devastating thing to figure out that, um, to learn that something that you held true in your entire mind for your entire life as part of your identity is completely different. And what do you do with that information? What do you do? And then on top of that, like you have all this almighty cosmic power. Um, and like, what do you do with that? <laughs> um, so that was a really good episode and I liked her in it. Um, I just... Hmm. <laughs> Wait, who is Ronnie Cox as Captain Edward Jellico? I don't even remember that one. He was the we just talked about this. He was the he was the the interim captain when Picard oh, was off being tortured yes. by David Warner. I mean, he was the guy you love to hate, but I don't feel like his performance particularly was like standout cuz honestly that was I hate to say that it was an easy role, but it was a hard role to mess up. Let's put it that way. I think like, I, think, I think a good actor will give it some flavor, but I don't remember him. I think in he that did. A, I think he did a great job in a pretty thankless role because it yeah, could, it could exactly. have been like, oh, here comes the jerky new boss who wants to. But but a lot of people look at that and like, yeah, he's actually. A lot of people think he's one of the he's one of the best captains on the shows because. He just because he all all the things that rub us the audience the wrong way are because we love Picard and we miss Picard and we figure oh if Picard was doing it a certain way that must be the right way sure. and this guy comes in and he wants to do things differently but like it's not like it's not like we the audience are intimately beholden to the idea that the Enterprise needs to work on like a two shift schedule it's like three shifts that's ridiculous like we don't care you know we don't know or care about right. that right yeah and when you think about it like yeah why doesn't Troy need to wear a uniform and why yeah, that's you know, a fair Riker, Riker probably should get called on his stuff every now and then because he kind of gets to be a bit of the cowboy sometimes and you mm-hmm. know like it makes sense and, and you know there's nothing no nothing wrong with him putting his kids drawings up in his ready room or whatever but like Picard would never put kids drawings in his ready room he has to have Shakespeare and the fish right but it's like there's nothing wrong with anything he's doing he only rubs us the wrong way because, because we miss, he's different. We, he's miss wrong, our, yeah. we miss our TV dad right? exactly yeah so but you know and so I think he did a good job of making him like he's just he comes in he knows these people aren't going to like him but he's got a certain command style and he's got a job to do and he saw the he saw the Enterprise through a very dangerous situation that could have started a war with the Cardassians yeah. you know because this Federation assault team is being held captive and tortured by the Cardassians and he's got to hold things together on his end and he did a good job and then off he went and nobody thought particularly well of him but you right. know he had a job to do and he did it and it could have gone really badly if they'd got some idiot in there who right, was more who concerned with being yep. liked than doing the right thing so i think it was a uh, it was a good job for him as an, he's been a lot of other good stuff too he's he's one of those people that pops up periodically he doesn't like get starring roles but right. he's always been really good he passed away a while ago i think but i remember seeing i see the stuff go by on twitter but yeah he was good so you would say then Paul Winfield, um, David Warner, David Warner, Olivia Dabo, Jonathan Frakes, Melinda, no, Melinda Coulier is my number three, then Olivia Dabo, and then, um, you know, other people, (laughs) other people, other people. You don't, you didn't like Jerry Harden as uh, Samuel Clemens? I thought he was great. Come on. I told you, but that was, uh, that shouldn't count. You know why? Because it was, uh, he appeared in two episodes. It's a two-parter, though. I also included Shelby, who appeared in both parts of uh, Best of Both Worlds. And for that matter, David Warner appeared in both parts of Chain of Command, as okay, did Ronnie Cox. Oh. So I, I continue, considered those to be one episode. So I, I, I anticipated that objection. I see. Um, yeah, those All are right, good picks. Point. Yeah. Samuel Clemens was pretty good. But I always liked... James Sloyan was really good as future Alexander, too. 
Like when he pleads with his father at the end to, you mm-hmm. know, to do things a different way. And yeah, really good. I mean, he, I, I, when we were talking about him as, as uh, Admiral Jarek and then Dr. Mora last week, I forgot that he also played this role. And then another great role was the guy, the, the, um, the guy that Neelix hated for being responsible for the weapon that killed all of his people. He's he's in the he's in sick bay on Voyager dying and Neelix has to like come to terms with this guy like this guy that he's hated all of his life because yeah. he created the, do you remember the, the that no. episode he was he was great in that episode too as this guy that had been reviled throughout the quadrant as this butcher but instead he was just trying to you know end the war he was trying to you know push oh, science forward yes, or whatever like right. that and and um, that was a I think that was an atomic bomb um, allegory it was yeah it was sort of like a yeah sort of like a Manhattan, uh, Manhattan Project. Project you know. What's the name of the guy? This is bad. Von Braun? No, that was completely, completely <laughs> different. No, the guy, um, I Am Become Death, Destroyer of Worlds. The Oppenheimer, that's it. Robert oh, Oppenheimer right. from the Manhattan Project. Yeah, yeah, that was an allegory to that, obviously, yeah. Yeah, no, really good. I feel like we could do the same thing with some of the other shows, too. But we're just sort of, we're talking about Next Gen now because we've got, we've got uh, Next Gen Picard. on our mind. Yeah. Um, so segueing into our show, so we've got new episodes of Star Trek Picard, Doctor Who, Flash, Legends of Tomorrow, and Harley Quinn. Yep. Because um, we talked about Black Lightning last week, and Batwoman and Supergirl skipped a couple weeks for some reason. I don't know why. It always mm-hmm. seems weird when they come back from a hiatus, do like two episodes, and then go away for another month. But the vagaries of mm-hmm. trying to fit 22 episodes into a 52-week year means that you've got weird gaps in weird places sometimes. Yep. Um, so anyway, spoilers be warned. Yep. So Star Trek Picard, this one was called The End is the Beginning. So this is the conclusion of the first act as they would say. You know, mm-hmm. they say the season kind of breaks up into three acts, and this is the conclusion of the first one. It was originally going to be two episodes, but then they thought those episodes were kind of overstuffed, so they spread it out over three, which is why all three episodes have the same director. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and you do kind of feel the pacing maybe being a little bit slow in some places, but again, it's fine that it has a bit of a different pace than Discovery. Yeah, as we I don't know why it. people lambast the pacing. I, for me, it feels like it has just enough, just the right amount of Yeah, but if, development. You look, if you look at it on paper and say that you've got a 10-episode season and by the end of episode three, Picard is only now leaving Earth to go off on the mission, with no other context, that would seem like maybe a little slow. Like you'd think you'd want that to happen in episode one or episode two, but... I yeah. disagree. But I mean, it's not oh, like man. a lot of stuff hasn't been happening. But so it, many critics have so many things to say. Oh, I want the flashbacks. Oh, there weren't enough flashbacks. Oh, I feel like this could have been longer. Blah, blah, blah. Write a, <laughs> write a show yourself. Jeez. <laughs> I think it's really wonderful as it is. You know, I think that it had just the right amount of backstory. You understand who the characters are as they're shipping out. The introduction of the new um New Captain is a really interesting thing because even seeing him juxtaposed opposite his own EMH was um, an interesting dynamic. I like the effects that they had where they had a conversation between the two of them. I like the little uh, backstory that you can start to see where um, these like two of the four people on this ship were really badly burned by the Federation. Actually three if you count Picard, obviously. Um, So you've got well, and you could say that uh, Dr. Girardi was too, because her entire That's life's true. work was shut down when they imposed the ban on synths. That's true. That's true. But she's still associated with them, technically. I mean, well, I think that this I might mean, be she, the end she of her. Lives, she lives in the Federation, but I don't think the Daystrom Institute is under the auspices of Starfleet. It's like the equivalent of Harvard. Harvard is not under the auspices of the U.S. Navy. It's, it's two completely That's different true, things. That's true, yeah. More like MIT. It's sort of like future MIT, I suppose. Not not really future Harvard, but still. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that's why they're, they're this motley crew, because they're people that have been, mm-hmm. you know, they're outcasts from 
decent federation society exactly. in, 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 in different ways. Yeah, and so we get we meet um, after her brief introduction last week. We get more introduction here for Rafi. We see a flashback to when her and Picard, like their inciting incident, when he uh, offered his resignation from Starfleet and the way that it affected her. And then we jump forward to the present and see that um, it's 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 sort of it does strike me as sort of puzzling sometimes because we you know we've been given to understand that the Federation and Earth in particular is this post scarcity utopia and nobody wants for anything and all, you know et cetera et cetera et cetera. But I guess there's still nothing stopping someone from being like this weird recluse out in the middle of a, of a canyon and she's like oh look at this hovel I live in. It's like you could live in whatever kind of you could replicate any kind of stuff you wanted. You could live you know what I mean like this is literally post-scarcity utopia she could go and live in the heart of san francisco if she wanted you know they could replicate another floor to a building and she could have the whole she could have a penthouse right like Mm -hmm. it's we don't quite understand how these things work but we're given to understand that you can basically go anywhere do anything because there's no money and nobody has to work and you know yep obviously there's a lot of weirdness about how that would work in reality but because it's never really been scrutinized or dramatized extensively Mm -hmm. we just sort of like yeah it, it works somehow and we're not really going to get into it but again there's nothing particularly if you've got you know if you're psychologically troubled and you've got like addiction problems or something like that i mean part of me is like but they i don't know i because this is the kind of like push and pull that i have it's like something tells me that if you were to get roddenberry on the phone he would tell you that there wouldn't be addiction problems in his future either however realistic or non-realistic that would be if we've solved poverty we've solved war we've solved disease and explicitly, he, he would say that there's no disease. There's no, if there's no disease, and there's probably very little mental illness or ad- addictive personality disorders. Like As unrealistic as it may be that we'd be able to abolish all of those things, and we mm-hmm. could obviously have a debate about how much of that is biological or neurological, how much of that is just human nature to a certain extent. Obviously, there's they overlap. It's not completely one or the other. But something tells me that his vision of the future would be there is, you know, and he said this, there is no conflict between people. Again, however unrealistic that may be, which I think you can infer from that that there wouldn't be these kind of, people wouldn't have these kinds of problems anymore. Now, obviously, it's been quite a while since we've strictly adhered to that because Deep Space Nine was sort of the first evidence that you know mm-hmm. they were introducing people that were you know they had like Bashir's Bashir's father mm-hmm. who was like yeah he may not have to work and he may not have to make money but he's still a loser because he t- he keeps trying these 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 ventures like these get success they don't have get rich quick schemes anymore but like get famous quick schemes mm-hmm. or become successful schemes that Overnight, fall through yeah. and he's like he's never amounted to anything and he's like a bit of a weirdo it's like there's still going to be people that fall through the cracks it's just they're different cracks you know right, and you can't exactly. fall quite as far because there's no skid row you know what i mean but right. you're still going to be like people are still going to look at you askance like oh man that guy's we like he never did anything with his life and there's still going to be those kinds of social pressures or yeah. at least or even if some of some of them feel somewhat self-imposed you know yeah so i don't know I, I don't really have a big problem with it but you watch something like you watch her there and she's got this she's got this self-destructive personality and she's you know smoking this thing like we've never seen anybody smoking here we nope. get she's basically lighting up with this snake weed or whatever mm-hmm. and then you've got captain rios on his ship who's like smoking cigars or something and like, drinking. we've never seen anybody smoke we've seen people you're right yeah, but we've like, seen people drink in star trek even though often it's like synthahol although not always other right. times it's like romulan ale or whatever but we've never seen anyone smoke in star trek the only other time i can think of that we've seen someone smoke in star trek it was the butt no pun intended of a joke and little green men when the ferengi were like you when, let me get this straight you buy this stuff and then you smoke it and it kills you and like you remember that when they yeah, went yeah. back to area 51 it was the butt of a joke that mm-hmm. everybody smoked and the ferengi couldn't believe that humans had, yeah. had been so dumb um so I don't know. I mean, here we're seeing people that are on the outs with, you know, mainstream Federation society, and they're they're giving in devices 
in one to one degree or another. It's a quick, it's a quick shorthand way of of dramatizing that for the audience. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, he smokes. He must be a renegade, right? But I don't know. Part of me is like, would they really like? Would people Roddenberry would Roddenberry would lead you to believe that people wouldn't be so self destructive in the future that they would smoke? You know, yeah. That nobody drinks, nobody smokes, nobody has any psychological problems, nobody has any financial problems. You know, yeah. So part of me is like, one by one, we're sort of getting rid of these tenants that he has. Yeah. So, and, I think and, it's and interesting. And then Rios is even like. He's going to get paid. I'm like, paid? Paid with what? Yeah, Your society exactly. has no money. Now, the Federation has no money, but the Federation still has to deal with other cultures that do witness the fact that when they were on right. Deep Space Nine, Starfleet officers had to maintain a certain amount of Latin if they want to gamble in Quark's bar or exactly. buy things from Quark or right. what have you or on the promenade. So they still have to interact with other cultures. So if Rios is trying to do something, he's got his own little scheme running on the side, yep. he might want Latinum in payment, even if humans on living on Earth would have no need for it and right. would be very hard to get. He might still expect this sort of under-the-table payment in Latinum or whatever mm-hmm. so that he can go off and do whatever. Yep. But if it's a post-scarcity society, what, he, and what does he need the money for? To repair his ship? He could just take his ship anywhere and people would repair it for free somehow. Yeah. So however that's supposed to work in the future. So right. I don't know. These are the kind of things I get hung up on. But again, you know, it doesn't really matter. But I see stuff like that. And like 30, 37 years of Star Trek, yeah. you know, is like, no, it's like causing the schism in my brain. You know, like, no, but people don't smoke on Star Trek. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it it, it grinds me to a halt for I a love that they showed it in like extreme close-ups because it really highlighted the fact that, look, look, this is happening and get used to it. And um, it's, it's interesting, like you said, to see that in a society that supposedly like has expunged well, here, let this. Let me, let me, so you, you stall for time for a second. <laughs> I don't think I've ever done this before, but I'm going to whip out my phone on the show here because I was reading to look an, up what? I was reading an interview with Michael Chabon where he addressed some of these exact issues. So someone said here, this was this was an interview he did on like Instagram or something. So someone said, is Rafi vaping? Please tell me Rafi is not vaping. Um, <laughs> and he goes on to explain like what it is that, you know, she's, snake leaf. she's she, using she or whatever. She literally so, told us what um, it was, snake leaf. And so someone says, you know, um, da, 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 here. Uh, oh, what about Rios's tobacco habit? So he says, um, listen, no human society will ever be no, oh typo. No human society will ever be perfect because no human will ever be perfect. The most we can do, and as Star Trek ever reminds us, must do, is aspire to perfection and work to make it so. Norcan Forden perfunctin or whatever. I guess that's that sounds Latin to me. It Until is. that impossible day stuff i'm i'm censoring myself here <laughs> until that impossible day stuff is going to continue to happen and when it does humans are going this is someone who said well they're also cursing people don't Ye- curse in the federation oh right? yes until that impossible day stuff is going to continue to happen and when it does humans are going to want to swear the absence of swear words in star trek was never a matter of federation principle it was a matter of fcc rules writers of previous eras had no choice they were censored swearing is one of humanity's most ancient sensible and rela- reliable consolations personally i would consider any society that discouraged banned or abandoned the use of curse words to be an effing dystopia yeah so basically he's like i don't know it, it's a it's it's like a bit of a revision of, of roddenberry's principles but he seems to be saying that that it's not so much that everybody in the federation is perfect but to a degree that to, to a much greater degree than in our modern world people in the, what makes the people in the federation different is that they they across the board aspire to be better than they mm-hmm. are which is obviously something that comes up in star trek a lot so it's not to say that they wouldn't have psychological hang-ups or addictive personality traits or curse, get frustrated sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, like, or even like get into fistfights with one another. Yep. It would be that they, the society, you know, has sort of come to grips with the fact that those things are not, you know, 
admirable. They're not, they're, they're not really glorified in the way that, that we, do we can these. do better. They should be they there's something that should be recognized, and you know we all agree that we should try to strive above them. You know, right? Exactly. Instead of being like, oh, it's fine if you go off, you know, do this thing, and you know, this is not. You know right. what I mean? Don't be lazy. Try to get over it and yeah. try to do it in an elegant manner. It's like Picard yeah. said in First Contact. You know, we work to better ourselves and all of humanity. Everybody's on board with that, but there's going to be some people that just aren't able to like quite get there 100% mm-hmm. of the time because that's just the way people are. Right. And I'm not. it's not that I disagree with that or find that to be some violation or whatever. It just, for me, takes a bit of getting used to because this is literally what I was raised on. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And when you're raised on something that way, it's like the whole Man of Steel thing, right? When you're raised on Superman never killing. Yeah. It's not to say that there aren't good stories you could tell with him killing but that just like it it bothers just gets you. me you know what i mean In a oh way i wasn't able to overcome it i still am i no because you had more I'm of a history with that with character than yeah. you did with you know the ideals of starfleet or something like that. i know and i have a right to be upset and other people have a right to like it and i'm people over that, it people but are, i don't think people I are that upset about this because i feel like the way I is, am. the way no this <laughs> this particular oh, thing this. because i think yeah. the way has been paved Rafi smoking deep and space all nine that stuff, yeah. and enterprise and the jj abrams movies where it was kind of like up the sex and violence and and you know profanity yeah. and so on a little bit i think it's just it's just the way it's going i mean this i is think prestige streaming nine, television and yeah. that's the way it is is that there's going to be sex and drugs and and I cursing i think that deep space nine uh, reminded us that just because the federation um has largely dealt with some of these vices um first off the federation is not representative of all of humanity as a whole and second off the the whole society that they're trying to improve is still interacting with other people other peoples who are at other places in their own development. And so um, just reminding us to be empathetic and open is one of the tenets of Star Trek as well. I guess it would just be, I guess put simply, it would just be that while today it's easy to look at society and say that that we're not really trying to be better, you know, we're kind of giving in to our base instincts and our worst <laughs> impulses, that the, the society of the Federation... Um, they're always trying. They're always trying to be better, but, right. which is not to say that they're perfect. Because if you're, if everybody agrees that everything is perfect, then there's no need for self betterment anymore. Because you're already there. That's true. Right? You're already in a utopia. Yeah. So I guess Roddenberry would have had us believe that Earth was a utopia, but I guess the modern vision is that every everybody's on board with the fact that we need to get there, and they all sort of see the way there, you know. Mm-hmm. And they're all they're all in agreement. This is the way we get here. But they're not quite there yet because it's always, in reality, it's always going to be a work in progress. You never have a perfect society, especially like you say, when you're interacting with other societies because there's always going to be outside forces, yep. be they other warlike races that want, like you can't be a peaceful um, hippie commune pacifist society yep. in, in the reality of Star Trek because then the Borg are going to come and assimilate your ass, right? Like yep. <laughs> this, the whole thing was why Section 31 which was obviously another big bone of contention in the fandom when Deep Space Nine introduced that because the idea that the the perfect enlightened federation would have like this black ops thing that was doing all these, you know, morally questionable things under the under mm-hmm. the table was really controversial in the fandom too. But, you know, that's why Section 31 exists. That's why Starfleet ships need to have phasers. That's why, yeah. you know, they need to have hand-to-hand combat training. That's why you need all these things is because you can't be a peaceful man in a, violent galaxy all the time you know what i mean yep you can go forth with peace in your hearts and you can always try peace first but it's you need to be willing to defend yourself and that creates forces on your society which can sometimes cause people to have you know post-traumatic stress disorder or whatever which can lead to other things you know what i mean so i it's a long way of saying that 
it sort of it sort of sometimes it can sort of take me aback a little bit but i don't i don't have a problem with it necessarily but it is it is something that sort of causes me gives me pause sometimes um but in terms of the the logistics of the plot so finally you know here we meet captain rios cristobal rios and picard um gets him to agree to take them to find bruce maddox mm-hmm. um somehow rafi is able to figure out that they're on this thing called that he's in this place called free cloud which at first i'm like is this like some online poker yeah. app or something because no, there's like really holographic good. dice fly out at her and she's like oh that's where he is i'm like oh it's a place is this like space vegas or something yeah, where they're going space vegas yep i guess that's exactly right yeah um she found traces in whatever research files he, she was given there's um, like a gorn there was like a gorn algorithm or something that was uh, that was protecting the files or something like that that's if you funny. like read what's like really the gorn have got like I, I want to pause. Skills now. I know. I want to. Why not? Crazy. Hey, <laughs> this is big. big listen, lizard you. Man. Listen, you, Judgy McJudgersons. Well, we're just talking about aspiring and empathy. Hey, you, you. I'm racist against. You're big, racist li- against big, giant big, lizard, big lizard, man. lizard humanoids. Yes. You. Hey, even in that episode, it, it turned out that they got their communicators working, and he was able to understand what the Gorn was saying. And he had to back off. Kirk had to back off because he was in the wrong. So booyah, and stop being racist against Gorns. You big species. Yeah, but the Gorns, the Gorns uh, killed everybody on that planet that Archer found, though. Well, that's a different story. Would they have something <laughs> to answer for for that? Nobody's perfect. It's such a nice planet that Archer found, and they blew everybody up. Uh, I don't remember that at all. <laughs> that was re- that was they they reckoned yeah, that, yeah. that the planet. Blame that, it on the Gorns. The first planet that the NX01 Enterprise landed on was uh-huh. supposed to be the planet that the Gorn attacked a hundred years later, and that Kirk came and fought them on. Cestus three, I think. Cestus three, yeah, Cestus three, I think it was. Well, you remember more about that than I do, but anyway, you, Gordon. Um, <laughs> and so we get a little bit more of what's going on in the Borg cube. So right. we get some. So we get some interesting scenes with Soji where we learn a bit more about Romulan society, like yeah. Romulan etiquette, I guess you could say. Like yes. they don't like the word mythology, apparently. No. Because um, that's a little too highfalutin, I guess. Like they prefer things to be more practical. They frame, do, frame more exactly. practical pre- present like it's day either terms. history or it's um, uh, precognition, apparently. Yeah, and so like apparently you don't apparently you don't knock on the front door of a Romulan household and expect to be let in. Like the front door is just a facade, and everybody knows you got to go around the back. Yep. At which point you think you would just start calling the back the front. No, but <laughs> I don't know. Um, and so Hugh is here, which you know obviously we knew was going to happen because everybody knows he's going to be in this show, and he was even in the preview clip. Right at the at the end of, in the last week's episode of the Ready Room, um, what I, what I find interesting here is like maybe Picard will run into him later and there'll be like some dialogue about how he knows him. But what's interesting here is that if you didn't remember those couple of episodes of Next Gen, he could just be a guy. Like yeah. his name is mentioned once offhandedly. Yes, there's no mm-hmm. reference to the I'm fact that you. Yeah, he knew it. Picard or he encountered the Enterprise because it's not relevant to anything that's happening now or any of the people he's talking to. Right. You know, yep. he just this is his life and he somehow got here. He somehow went from being a semi-independent Borg at the end of Descent, where he and his little group had been separated from the collective and they'd fought help, help Picard defeat Lore. Mm-hmm. So presumably there's they were they left and started their own like Borg independent Rehabilitation, Borg society or yeah. something. So somehow he got all of his implants removed and became fully I so here's the thing. We don't even know is he human? I guess so. I don't yeah, think there was is. any dialogue in, in that I Borg episode about him being biologically human. Because I thought they, there was. I thought it was uh, pretty clear. Like I thought they. Uh, it might be. I might. I might be forgetting that. But like he. He, he, appears he to knew be his human. own species, and it was a category. And you don't remember species zero x nine two or whatever it was. Um, he he listed his, and it was the human designation. Yeah, 
Um, so I guess he's human. So he's he, but he's here. So somehow he got from being, you know, looking like he did then, twenty years ago, to being here now as the head of this Romulan reclamation project. Right. Um, so you know, he's cool that he's made something of himself. I did, I did think it was funny though, and especially it's going to be drawn into sharp relief when Seven of Nine shows up, whenever in a week, two weeks, or yeah. whatever. That she she looks like a supermodel, yeah. just with these very. <laughs> These, these very delicate. delicate Borg implants still in a couple of places to accentuate her cheekbones. <laughs> and meanwhile, everybody else has got these horrific just scars horrible. and their eyes are different, different colors, colors and everything. Yeah. It's like, They're just man, all jacked the up. The doctor on Voyager must be like the <laughs> best plastic surgeon ever because he could do a fantastic job with like the first time this has ever been done in history, yeah. rehabilitating a Borg. I guess some. I guess Crusher must have done it on Picard. Uh, and yeah, she must have done a pretty good job too because he didn't did have do. any scars that we could see anyway. Although right. I always wondered because like... We and we see here like Picard had one of those arm things. Yeah, he did. And yeah. we see here that there's like there's oftentimes no arm under that anymore. I know. Right. Yeah. So does he have? Did they have to like regrow his hand? Did he have an artificial hand after that? In addition to an artificial no, heart? No, she took or? it off. So she, she they actually removed it in the episode. Yeah, I guess they just hadn't gotten far enough with exactly. him yet to with like fully remove all part, of this. Yeah. yeah, I mean, part of that's that why was the threat was there. I mean, he had the laser on the, the side of his head, but he didn't have his eye replaced. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, but part do you remember me, this? Yeah, I know. But yeah. I mean, just because we didn't see that, part of me thinks that it would be it would be interesting because that was supposed to be such a traumatic thing for him. Right. Part of me thinks it would be more interesting if physically he was never the same after that. Like, what if he did have some artificial parts, or maybe like he could never like his vision was that's never. That's not the choice they made. Yeah, well, we don't know that for sure, though. Like, they might have had to do some, like, tissue grafts or whatever like yeah. that. Like, and just because it didn't leave any visible scars that we could see with, like, maybe 90s the, era makeup. Well, maybe mean. the brain disorder he's fighting right now is a result. Well, I don't know. I think Ooh. that I think we're, that we're given to believe that's a genetic thing. This is like a g- genetic progression. I mean, I illness. think you're no. I think you're. I think you're transferring from previous uh, things that have been there. They didn't explicitly list I guess the cause po- of this. I guess this. it's possible. I don't know. I saw someone speculate that maybe Borg nanoprobes could actually cure him of this ha! thing, and that'll be how how they, that, that gets resolved. That would be interesting. Ooh. I mean, we know that Borg nanoprobes can do a bunch of yeah. from Voyager. That would be like their magic bullet. It's like anytime somebody would have a problem, they just inject them with nanoprobes. Yeah, um, programmed to do a specific thing. Yeah, so he's there, and so so Soji gets information from this Romulan woman who is someone of you know someone of note who was assimilated. So she has information that she's not supposed to have. She knows who was on the last Soji now. Yeah, yeah. That she has she knows that who was on the last ship that this cube assimilated. And moreover, something happened during that assimilation or after that assimilation that caused the cube to be severely damaged. It wasn't just that they were in some sort of fight, or at least there was more to it than that. Right. It was as a result of the assimilation attempt that the cube... These are the only Romulans, or like the only remaining Romulans that were ever assimilated by the Borg, and they've got them all in this room, and they're all like off in some way now. Like they all haven't been able to fully um, reintegrate into society in the way that people like you have. yeah. And they're all Romulans. And so you're like, is there something about Romulan biology that makes it particularly incompatible with cybernetics? Is that why Romulan society is so against mm-hmm. certain aspects of technology? Um, the other thing I saw, going quickly back to that Michael Shaban interview, is someone asked him, well, how does this thing, which I'm about to describe, square with this new conception that Romulans hate cybernetics and AI and all this stuff? And they referenced the scene from the episode with James Sloyan as Admiral Jarek going all the way back to season three or whatever it was of Next Gen, where he sits down with Data and Admiral Jarek says, you know, I could list a number of Romulan cyberneticists who'd love to get their hands on you. Um, oh, interesting. Which, which, this, which this fan was like, aha, I've got you, Michael Shaban. Yeah, if you've yeah. got all these cyberneticists, that means that there's this thriving cybernetics you know, Lab, in, thing in, going on in Romulan society. How does that square right. with the fact that you say that they, would, they, they hate all that stuff? And he would say, but ah, keep watching that scene. Um, 
because data says something like, you know, I would not want to be subject. You know, right. I, I would not want to go anywhere near that, basically. And, and Admiral Jarek says, nor should you or something like that. Ah, yeah. Um, which means that it's not. And he's like. Oh, that's you know, deep. He's like, well, that's even the, he's like, even the Nazis had doctors, right? Yeah. But they weren't really practicing medicine in any way. That, you know what I oh, mean? Oh, God. Experimentation. So, <gasps> so just because the Romulans had cyberneticists doesn't mean that they were building. My techn- mom They were building a... cybernetic organisms. They could have been just there to like mutilate them and tear yeah. them down and learn how to destroy them. So exactly. they never have to deal with them in Romulan society and that's what being a Romulan cyberneticist is you yeah. know and Data knew that or you, you said Jarek Germans have doctors and I have a story for you but I don't well, I said think Nazis I think it's doctors. too yeah Nazis <laughs> I cast aspersions on all sorry. German doctors <laughs> you're absolutely right that's very fair yeah sorry about that but yeah no um yeah, I have a story, but now I'm realizing I probably shouldn't share it because it's too grim for yeah. for the podcast um, so, so that's interesting. So it seems like, you know, the fact that Michael Shaban had that, he's like, aha, but I know that scene as well as you do. Exactly. Random fan on Instagram <laughs> tells me that they've done their homework on this stuff. That's you know? hilarious. Yes. Um, yeah. So a lot of good stuff in this one. Um, what's also funny is some, someone you? commented on the fact that why does, why does Commodore O wear sunglasses when Vulcans are supposed to have this extra set of eyelids, which T'Pol mentioned yes. when in the, the Enterprise episode, The Forge. Um, so they shouldn't need to wear sunglasses because they've evolved to like, because they evolved in like these desert wastelands on Vulcan yeah. with her three mm-hmm. sons or whatever. And he's like, aha, but what does that tell you about? Exactly. The fact that she's... But then again, if she's a secret Romulan, she probably would be too smart to go around wearing you keep accessories. forgetting this, though. You keep forgetting this. You had a explicit answer on this because um, Alex Kurtzman was interviewed on one of your favorite podcast thingies there, and he said explicitly that right. she is a Romulan but undercover. A, but he she's said a, so. But it's not very undercover if you're wearing an accessory that Vulcans would never wear for reasons that are biologically known throughout the entire. I know, but it could be explained away in that she's trying to make a point. You know, she's wearing them as a as an accessory. Fashion because, statement, right? She's the David Caruso or Starfleet security. Yeah, um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, she's just doing it just because it makes her look a little more intimidating where you can't see her eyes. <laughs> yeah. No, it's true. Oh, so, she can, so, so she can take them off at a dramatic moment right exactly. before the opening credits. And it goes, Wah! And the, the who comes up. Yeah, yeah. no, I've, I've seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, no, but it was a really good episode. I now feel like we're really launching forward here. So I know, we get really. A, can I, just, re- can yep. I just make a point about how I liked Hugh's sense of humor? His humor? His humor. Ha, yeah. ha, ha. I know. Yeah, um, I like that too. Like I he had a bit of great. he had a bit of a bit of a wry self deprecating sense dry, of humor. Yeah, but also very witty and cutting. And he's an intelligent person, and um, we're learning how much he's able to pick up. And I'm really feeling that he's going to contribute a lot to the story because he already sees that Soji is very different, and he's going to be essential in helping her along. I think, and that's that's going to be important. So keep your eyes on Hugh. Character basically. to watch. Character to watch, 2020, yeah. So so Doctor Who, so mm-hmm. this one was called Praxius. Mm-hmm. Um, this was another good one. This was a good sci-fi, you know, just a good this straightforward sci-fi yeah. story. Interesting hook, interesting sort of mystery to it. Yep. Um, again, fun guest characters. Yep. I feel like we talked about this one last week. Did we talk about this one last week? I feel like we might have because we, we, we talked about the couple. We talked about the good guest characters. Yeah, you know what I think is getting me is the fact that we recorded later in the week than usual last week. Oh, so yes. we've already I remember that we had already talked about Black Lightning, but I forgot that we had already talked about Doctor Who. So we continued we continued to like this episode of Doctor Who. Because I remember <laughs> specifically on, yes. we talked about how we liked the guest characters. Right. How there was the astronaut and the, and ca- his, the cop on quote unquote right. sabbatical, his partner. And then we talked about wait, were they supposed to be like divorced or just separated or right, you know, right, so exactly. I remember we did talk about that. Um so Flash, this is the first post crisis episode. This one was called Marathon. 
Um, this was this was good. We see sort of the fallout from Crisis in a few different ways. You know, the yep. the world is a little different. Um, some of the villains have like new powers, I guess. So Cisco is going to go and try to Cisco's categorize super all, all that. Cisco's concerned because he just to uh, clarify to everybody who might have missed it, he only had his vibe powers yeah. back for Crisis, Which I liked and he lost it would seem, again. Yeah. But yeah. he also, he's fighting some regret, too, because he doesn't regret losing them. But at the same time, it was useful to have. Um, and he's probably right. If he'd been yeah. attuned to the vibrations of the multiverse, he probably would have noticed that an infinite number of Earths were being wiped, wiped out, out one by one. Yeah. Yeah. He's probably right about that. So he's probably right to be to be guilty. Um, to feel yeah, guilty. There's, there's yeah. interesting uh, fallout here for Nash. It's interesting that we're continuing to see Nash, that, that like yeah. Pariah was not his ultimate incarnation and then Pariah goes off and does whatever. He's right. back to being Nash Wells and he has to live with the guilt that his actions brought about so far as he knows. Yeah. You know, and the again, death of and infinite again, number Cisco of Nashes. Is, Cisco, again, is somewhat wrong. That, yeah. You know, everybody thinks the, for some reason, everybody thinks the multiverse was destroyed. I guess, like we talked about last week's Supergirl episode, I, I think the logistics of how it works are somewhat different. Like the vibrational frequencies are further apart or something. Even, they can't detect right. them anymore. And so. even even so, um, Cisco said that it changed the physics. Like his, even if he wanted right. to get the dampeners Which working smart, or the, 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 the vib- his little breach vibers, devices yeah, breach don't devices. work anymore yep. because, yeah, I think it's just like all the vibrational frequencies were scrambled or something. And so you just can't tune in those other earths anymore. right like they're still there but they're just inaccessible for you know some until next year's crossover we basically. have to figure it out because it might be like you said a, a multi multiversal uh difference or a um difference in earths being all close together but you can't detect them anymore well i mean yeah we or talked about how if like they're, in the more like in the morrisonian, the morrisonian of, yeah. conception those other earths might no longer be no, might no longer be in the local multiverse they're in a different orrery or something like that yeah you know, they're not just another they're not just another branch on the same snowflake they're on a different snowflake on the Altogether. other side of the world right you know and so it's a very different proposition to try to get there anymore but something tells me they'll they'll crack it eventually yeah but it was cool to see his little whiteboard where he's got a map of the world. Like, oh, there's the Fortress of Solitude. And I love his baseball card connect collection yeah. of, of new rogues to watch yeah. out for. Like, he's really trying to catch up. And uh, I just feel that I feel for him because he really does have that whole guilt of if I didn't take this selfish step in my own self-interest, I could have been helpful and more useful and maybe prevented this crisis from happening altogether. Um, if I had kept my power instead of trying to re-identify myself or trying to do anything different and, and sacrifice those powers, like, oh, man, yeah. that's and, tough. And Barry is dealing with some of the, like, it, it, it's smart to say that like, they've been living in crisis mode really since Iris, episode one. Iris, especially. episode one, we saw that newspaper and there was a, there's a yeah. date on there which ended up being moved up, but, yep. you know, that's neither here nor there, about Flash missing, vanishes in crisis. Mm-hmm. And so they've been living with this for the entire run of the show yep. and now their future is unwritten, basically. Yep. But they're just, they're not used to operating without being under that gun, you know? So he's got to learn to slow down. And we see Diggle again. There's no reference to the whole Green Lantern Hilarious, thing. can I just say? Even the head swing before he gets ripped into to the other side of the, uh, uh, to Lian Yu. That was just hilarious. Well, I love their interactions and he's like still said, nauseated it's by It's like I said after Arrow last running. week, like just because that show was over, yeah. the you know, the great thing about a shared universe is those characters don't don't have to go away. Right. Like we could see, something tells me we're going to see more of David Ramsey and yeah. something, you know, even if we never see are we ever going to see like Thea again? I don't know. Like she had already left the show right. by the time it ended. So something tells me she's largely moved on to other things. But, you know, it wouldn't surprise me to see Roy in some random episode of Legends of Tomorrow, you know, right, exactly. or, or to see, I mean, we know we're going to see, we already have several members of the main cast moving over to the spinoff if it gets picked up. Right. Yep. So, yeah. And that's, you know, it's not, it's nice. And so he shows up here because Oliver's death is going to have, Huge you know, impact it's going to have on effects on a lot of people that he knows. Exactly. And, and Barry was, if not 
you know, if, if, Big, if, if Diggle was like his big brother, like his older brother, Barry was like his kid his brother. His little brother, yeah. You know? and or so, little cousin, at least. And, he, <laughs> you know, he looked up like Oliver was there, you know, it was... He when helped we mentor him. We first him. meet Barry through Oliver's eyes. Yeah. Like he was there in that first, his first brush with, you know, sort of superhuman crime. Yep. And then, you know, Oliver was there in episode one of The Flash to to give him his name in an accidental way and, and sort of explain to him how he could be, what his mission could be and how he could be different than him, you know? Exactly. Um, he set him on that course, you know? Yeah. And now and with him gone, he kind of feels like he's lost his true him, north. Yeah. And help him, uh, help him train, help him not underestimate the thing, help him not rely on just his powers. And it was a formative relationship because it really was like yep. big brother teaching little brother some things that he needs to know. And he's and he's gone, but he doesn't really want him to be gone. And so I he's know. he's hanging on to this idea that Oliver gave him his original mask, and it must be because it's this secret mission that he wants him to go on to Lian Yu because it's got Mirakuru on there, and it turns out it was just. Uh, a coincidence because of like an adventure that Oliver had had that Barry wasn't privy to that we saw when he and Thea right. had to go back to Lian Yu and team and fight against Deathstroke and right. that's how it got on there. Yeah. Um, and there was nothing to solve. And, and now they've just, got now they've got it's his. Great. It's a little morbid, but I guess no more morbid than having his costume with an Hang. eternal flame in the Hall of Justice. But yeah. he's got his mask behind glass on his desk in, in, in the in their living room. It's like, oh, here's my dead friend's clothing in our living room where we're going to be sitting and like entertaining guests did you did you notice that there i mean i didn't bump on it as as well as you when put did. that way it sounds a little morbid doesn't it i mean i mean there's a lot but people should do... i call you out on the stuff you have remaining from your favorite childhood pet well well people i know i was just gonna say people do like that oh there's grandma's ashes up on the fireplace like well, that's pretty morbid too but it's the kind of thing people do so i guess it's i guess it's realistic that they right. would do that. um <laughs> Yeah, no, it was a good episode. And so Cisco goes off on this thing. But of course, as soon as that happens, people are like, is he leaving the show? And it's like, no, he might be gone for like a couple of episodes. But when he comes back, apparently he'll have this like this new mission and this mm-hmm. vital, vital new information and all this other stuff. Yeah. Um, so Legends of Tomorrow, this was a fun episode. Mm-hmm. Um, they go back to uh, the times of uh, Bugsy Siegel. That was that to, was a lot of fun. And so, <laughs> Ava has I feel like Katie Lotz was chewing up the scenery with her meh kind of voice. Her, it was yeah, great. Old-timey, old-timey Hollywood voice. And, oh, such and, good dialogue. How does she know all those terms? That's what I want to know. And Ava gets to sing and Ray, oh. Ray gets to be a Dudley Do-Right kind of cop. Can I just tell you how much I love Ava's arc in this? Because she, like... Yeah, they they put a, they hang they hung a lantern on it. I mean, they didn't really make it ambiguous, but they literally just you know gave her the lines to explain. But it wasn't even it didn't feel over the top. Do you know what I mean? Like in this show, I guess you can get away with certain things, but um, it's, it's a lot of it is it a made little, sense. A lot of it is a little arch in the way that you wouldn't you wouldn't play it that way on any of the other shows. Right? You wouldn't say, "Hey, she I'm be, a." She wouldn't be quite so over the top with her 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 her, you know, rending of garments about how she has no purpose anymore. She wouldn't be quite so over the top with her drunkenness. She would, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But the show is played, you a know, little, the, the, little can, the, the wackiness cheeky. is kind of dialed up yep. beyond the show. But like, I really like it, though, because she's still coping with the fact that, first off, she's not the leader anymore. Second off, she's not really even always, always, always going to be needed or useful or essential to uh, the success of any mission, that she's sitting in a bar and for hours nobody needs anything from her. She's sort of losing it. She's chomping at the bit in yeah, parts of it. She's, she's wondering about her own... Rory's happy to sit there and drink beer for yeah, five hours, she's, but she needs to be but a bit she more needs useful. To, right. She's wondering about her own self-worth. She's reevaluating a few things, and then she gets 
really liquored up and um and sings but i love that they 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 make you see her singing in an elegant manner with backup singers and a full room of applauding guests and everything and then they break it down where (laughs) the people are running out of the thing and then you take a look at her out from the outside presumably where she thinks she's doing this wonderful job but it's a drunken hallucination and in fact she looks like a drunken drunken fool um and that's just hilarious. I really love that they framed it this way because I'm sure it was a lot of fun to play bo- both sides, um, both sides of that for the actor. And Matt Ryan gets to do a, <laughs> a somewhat dubious American accent. Oh God, that was great. He just dropped right into it. <laughs> Hello, I have an American accent and speak like an American man. Yes, that's pretty good, honey. Well done. <laughs> but yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. Oh. Oh, that's pretty good. It's like it's kind of like that's Benedict Cumberbatch yeah. levels, basically. Like, yeah, yeah. what is this like? Is this like Mid Atlantic, like New England yes, Southern? Yes, you just curve what, what is so this? much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, but not everybody has but, strengths uh, but in all Maybe areas. he can do a great American accent, but I think the idea here is that John Constantine can't do a very good American accent. Yeah, I know, right? So, I bet Matt Ryan could probably I do a fantastic bet. American accent because he's not he's not using his natural accent for Constantine either. He has a completely different regional yeah. British accent than what he employs for Constantine. Yeah. It's just when he was originally researching the role for the original Constantine series. He knew he, he was from Liverpool, he ta- yeah, so he put on yeah, the Liverpool Yeah, he did his research. Accent. He's like, oh, yep. I think he should talk exactly like this. You know yep. what I mean? But that's you hear him in Grow interviews, in he pool. sounds completely yeah. different. Um, oh, yeah, it was great. a fun episode. And so the other thing I wanted to mention is both Flash and Legends get new, longer opening title sequences where Flash and Legends both have always just been, here's the logo, spinny, spinny, bye-bye, yeah. with a little musical flourish of the main theme. Yeah. It's been like five seconds long. But here Flash got like this 30-second thing where we see all the cast members yep. and there's all sorts of special effects and things are whirring by. And Legends gets this new like punk rock remix of their it was musical so theme. so fun. It might as well be like, um, I don't know, the intro to Superbad. So, so are all the other so shows going to get new... Intros? Like similar... Because they're, they're, they're differently stylized, but they're, they're of a piece. They're roughly the same length. Mm-hmm. They both involve like images of the main cast members kind of like coming at you from with, a, with like a special effects background. Yep. And then finally it settles on... The main logo. The main logo, yeah. So are the other shows going to get new title treatments similarly also? Like, how would that work with Black Lightning with the way its little song is really just like a couple of lines of of a song with vocals? You know, like, how could they extend that into this? Hmm. You know what I mean? I I mean, easily they could probably contract the artist who made that and and get him to write another verse. I I don't see that being a problem. I could see how you could do this for Supergirl and Batwoman, but I don't know. Would they do it for Black Lightning? Because that show is very much its own thing anyway, although less so now. Yeah, I mean, they've referenced the multiverse. Yeah. I'm sure they're going to come back to it. You don't just mention a thing it's, like it's that and never mention that, it's it It's weird, again. though, that they didn't do this for the first post-crisis episode of Legends. They waited until this week. Maybe they couldn't get the graphics done in time, or maybe they waited until the post-crisis world. Flash did it world. first. Yeah, maybe. Flash, they want Flash to kind of lead the way now, in which case maybe the next episodes of Supergirl and Batwoman and Black Lightning will have it. I don't know. Who knows? We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, it would be kind of cool if they all had similar title. Treatments. I would really like that because they all had similar. Br- they were similar before. They were because mm-hmm. they were they were similarly short. They were the main logo with a little bit of the main theme. Usually something spinning around, like the Batwoman thing was like the her symbol flying mm-hmm. at the screen, and the Flash thing was the logo coming into view with the lightning bolt. Yep. So they were similar before. Yep. Um, and so this is just a way of, you know. Amp, you know, amp it up a little bit, extend it a little bit, so that they could have you know so, show the shots of the actors, exactly. give them their due a little bit. Yeah, I like it's, that it's idea. Nice. Yeah. And, it, and it, the longer it goes, the more it can sort of make its mark too. Like mm-hmm. all the shows, the, I like that Cecile, for example, is super acknowledged. Ba- in nothing, this. Well, yeah, and there's nothing distinct about the existing Batgirl 
you know, opening. You know what I mean? No, like, there's nothing. It's a little no. musical flourish, and it's like, oh, here comes the logo. But mm-hmm. the, if you look at how distinct now the Flash and Legends of Tomorrow yeah. opening sequences are, where before they were very similar. Mm-hmm. So they could, they could, this, the longer it is, the more it gives the different shows opportunity to make them distinct. Yeah. You know, even though they all have this similar length and sort of pace to them, they could all be right. very different stylistically. Yeah. No, it's, it's, I don't know. I just, I noticed that. I'm like, and, and, and Legends has done weird title treatments for, for one off episodes before. So I'm yes, like, they is, have. is this it's that? Great. But the fact that Flash did it and the fact that the new, font the font that they used for the legends of tomorrow opening was also the font they used for like the the credits along the bottom of the screen like the cast members and so on like that like that's leads me to believe and that hardly ever that never changes you know because they just plug the cast the guest stars into the the computer for that episode and it spits those out right yep but the fact that that new sort of punk rock font was there for that too tells me that that's the new permanent you know, design treatment for the show. Yeah. This is its new, like, brand identity, basically. So we'll, get, we'll circle back about this next week, but, yeah, it does look that way. Yeah. And so Harley Quinn this week, this one was another fun one. This is Harley Quinn Highway, so they they have to rescue Ivy. <laughs> so and then they have good. to go on the merry chase against Scarecrow. It looked like something from the imagination of Mixie Spitlick. It was Yeah, this great. ridiculous uh, looping roller coaster-esque highway while, while Harley and Ivy kind of try to hash out their... I love that they made a callback, but I love that they made a callback to the very first episode where she's trying to establish herself as a threat and um, the success of her first bad guy solo mission was the naming of that highway. Do you yeah. remember this? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so this is the first time we're actually seeing the highway and we're like, holy crap, it, went, it looks like an acid trip designed by, a, uh, I don't know, somebody who used to work with roller coasters. Great. Yeah. It was a it lot was of fun. fun. That yeah. was a great so episode. So there's only two episodes left in this season. And I'm we don't know curious if there's to see be where it goes. I'm, I'm glad that uh, Ivy and um, Harley are mending their fences and that Ivy was able to verbalize what the issue was with her. And I like that we really see that Harley... Harley wasn't the one that got the development in this episode. Do you notice that? Like, she was more able to verbalize and atone a little bit. But where she is as her character is pretty solid, on solid ground right now. It's the others around her that are now on an arc to forgive her and maybe rejoin the trust circle. I think the only thing... So she's kind of realized her mistakes so yeah, far. I think how the, deep they run, yeah. I think the only thing she really needs... The thing with, with Joker was left unresolved because she went back to him yep. and then he pushed her out of that helicopter again. So yep. that's still hanging there. So she still needs, she still needs, what they need to do is they need to bookend what happened in the very first episode mm-hmm. where they have a confrontation and she definitively once and for all says, I'm completely done with you. And like, you know. Yeah, just for reals. Be- beats him to within an inch of his life or something to, bo- you know, as right. the way that it happened at the end of the first episode, except, you know, as we later see here, you know, she was kind of kidding herself a little bit there a little. because she wasn't completely over him. But I think we need—I think they're going to bookend that at the end of the season with her now with like her found family behind her, kind of like really taking him on and the rest of the Legion of Doom, yep. which is the thing that she always thought she wanted to join, but now she discovered that it's the, just a full, the real Legion yeah. of Doom were the friends she made along the way. Right? So <laughs> yeah, she, exactly. Her own LOD. Yeah, exactly. Um, I love the show. I continue to love the show. It's really an amazing show. So if there's only two episodes left, does that mean Stargirl is premiering in three weeks? Because we've gotten trailers, but I haven't seen any sort of official scheduling announcement or anything like that. I, I don't know. Is it going to be a 22-minute show? Like, why would you think that one is connected to the other? No, it's going to be an hour-long drama. Well, like, so I'm confused. Because that's the way they've always done it. The, the one, you know, one Titan, ends Titans ended, other. Swamp Thing started 
the next week. Swamp Thing ended. Young Justice started the week after that. Young Justice ended. Titan started again. Started so it doesn't again. matter how long the running show. No, they always there. have one new original episode of okay. something a week. I okay. think the most they've ever done is miss, is had one week a one week gap when one show ended before the next one started. I see, but never more than that, and not even usually that. So, I would imagine wow. then that Star Girl must be starting in the next three or four weeks. I mean, we've seen trailers. I think yeah. they have episodes in the can, and Jeff yeah. Johns has been doing interviews and hyping it up and stuff. Yeah. Um. But the only thing that makes me think that maybe the reason why they wouldn't have it debut right away is because they've got this weird thing with the CW, which we've talked about before, where. The episodes are going to premiere on DC Universe and then the next day air on the CW. Yeah. So that means that they're probably somewhat beholden to when the CW is able to give them a time slot, you know, Mm -hmm. when some other show goes into reruns or gets canceled or whatever. Like if it takes the Supernatural time slot in two or three weeks when that show ends and that might be where they put it. Um, But yeah, so I don't I don't know. So they're dependent upon that. Whereas if it was just up to them, they could just debut it whenever. But that might be why. (laughs) Hmm. Yeah. So we'll see, I guess. Yep, we'll see. <laughs> that's the, that's the, that should be the tagline of my book, my autobiography. Um, yeah. So if you want to reach out to us, we have an email address, mailbag at smartspodcast.com. Our Twitter handle is at smartspodcast. On Facebook, it's facebook.com slash smartspodcast. And our website is, get ready for it, www.smartspodcast.com. How about a funny sound for us? I don't have one. How about, what was that? I don't know, somebody falling splat on the highway. Okay. Yeah.